Hey, Mike. Hey, Colin. Welcome to the podcast. It is the podcast. The Turkey Day podcast. Mm, yeah, I guess that'll be out about then. Thursday-ish, Thanksgiving-ish. I'm sure a lot of people will listen to this while they cook. Well, the family will gather around after the meal oh. and put it on. We're gonna. Are we gonna fight? Just you know, it's supposed to be divergent or something. We're, we're supposed to fight every episode. Yeah, that's true. We should do that more. Hmm. Okay. Disagree on much besides I can do that. Uh, you know, what we do disagree on what? is how often I swear. I'm so. Gonna, I'm going to start a little counter. I need one of those little clicky things for counting people going through a door. Yeah. No, because last time you insinuated that I had been swearing the entire podcast. But Just one steady stream, basically. But it wasn't. I had not sworn at all until that point in the podcast. Uh, I'm still unconvinced. I haven't gone back myself. I'm not sure I'm going to trust your employee. Mm, I don't know. We'll see. You may have. Greased, I can do this. Greased the wheels a little bit. I can do this. Okay. So um, it's Thanksgiving. There's not a lot going on, but we have a few random things to talk about. Yeah. Sure. Um, I was trying to think, if we have we done anything interesting? We put on a new version of Clip Wrap. That's about it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. It's yes. good. Download it, it. You should download it. Tell us if it's um, in sync. It should be. Yes. Um, first thing I had, this was a carryover from last week, but I just thought I'd mention it briefly, was this uh, interactive touchy display thing from MIT. It's sort of like one of those um, things that you have on your desk in your corner office if you're um, a, an executive where you put your hand in it and it pushes the little pins up and it makes the shape of your hand out of pins. That's an executive thing? I thought that was like like a toy like a science museum thing why but i think it's one of those things you get as like a desk toy to take up space so that you don't have to fill that space with work oh you know like a you know because it's the same with what are the what are the thing with the balls called the ball thing newton's ladder yeah newton's cradle newton's cradle yeah you get one of those is that what that stuff's for you get one of those like pressy uppy things get a stress ball wow you have enough stuff you can't put papers on the desk and then you don't have to work. Hmm. And all this time, I thought you had to buy computer monitors for that. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. You still haven't gotten a 4K, by the way. Disappointed. No. Um, anyway, so this is this is in the line of... Men- there are a, a lot of things in this space of ideas for how we can do more than just a 2D display. And so this one actually, like lets a person use their hands to sort of manipulate objects on a remote end of a conference call by moving pins up and down. Yes. Um, Fairly low resolution right now. Yeah. But interesting, nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, all of these are interesting. Any any way that you're sort of creating a 3D, rep, a real space representation, not just 3D in terms of fake depth, like with goggles, but um, actually sort of interacting with the remote world is pretty cool to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, seems neat. Um, I don't really, I mean, you know, this particular uh, demo, aside from what they're demoing of rolling a ball around, I don't know that it has a lot of direct, I guess I could knock stuff off of your desk if we had this. 
Right. I mean, the demo they did later with the like data visualization that yeah. was sort of interesting. Yeah. That seems much cooler. Um, because a lot of the 3D sort of displays out there right now are the kind of thing that you can't put your hand near without it getting blown off or something. Yeah. Um, so this is good. You know, it doesn't involve making plasma in the air or spinning a monitor around at high speed. So, you know, it's better for, you know, it'd be good for a children's museum. That's true. Yeah. Anywho, cool stuff. Um, yeah. there were two other interesting little hardware things this week, I guess. Um, one was the roadie. I, you know, I'm just a sucker for anything that takes, you know, real world stuff and interfaces it with your phone and does cool things. Um, so the roadie is an automatic guitar tuner. They actually like strap on the peg and it listens. It looks at the vibration of the string to do tuning and it auto tunes by just like it spins itself. So wait, wait, wait. It list, It looks at the string? I think so. Why wouldn't it just use the microphone in the phone? I think because it's probably more accurate to like look at the very specific frequency the string is vibrating at. Wouldn't that Maybe it hard? actually listens. I don't know. I bet it listens. Because otherwise you'd have to know like how far away it was. Yeah, it's true. You'd need like some sort of like water. You'd have to put a quarter up to the... The other, the other cool thing it can do as a, a sort of party trick is it can tell you when your strings are about to break by determining um, something about how hard it is to twist them or something. Yeah. Um, which I thought was pretty neat. But it's also, I mean, it's 80 bucks, and if you're a serious guitar player, like the idea that you just have this little thing that you just go zinc, 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 and it tunes your guitar, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Is it fast, or is it sort of... Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I don't know. Did I, Engadget didn't have a video demo? I don't think. I think they just no. had pictures. Um, so I'm not. I'm not sure. What's a string master? Oh, see, there already was one. This is just the iPhone version. There's something called the String Master. Yeah, that looks more kludgy. Kludgy. Or less kludgy, depending on how you think about it. In any case. It's on Kickstarter. Has it met its funding goal since I put this link in? Let's see. It has. Good for them. Gadget's good for that. I guess I can uh, watch their video here. That would require the kind of research that I'm just not interested in doing. Well, that's good. Nothing but the best for our listeners. Nothing but the best. Um, the other one in the camp of things that I don't think are particularly great additions to the world is the duster, which is a plastic gun. Um, I mean, it's it's an L. It's the sort of gun you would make out of like a piece of cardboard if you were in elementary school. Um, but you walk around and you shoot other people and you buy bullets through an app purchasing or some such. And um, that's a game. I like it. I, given the number of cases of like police officers shooting twelve-year-olds for carrying around very artificial-looking guns, I don't think having a game that encourages people to run around fake shooting each other is really going to end well for anyone. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't buy that argument though. Why? Because I mean, I I don't think we're ever going to lack for false reasons for police to shoot black kids. I mean, 
I, well, they don't I, I look don't agree that, I mean, I agree that this isn't going to... Submit. I mean, I guarantee no 22-year-old white guy in San Francisco who buys one of these things is going to get shot by the cops. Hmm. Fair enough, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't I think mean, it's a... Among other things, I don't see this taking off, but... Right. You never played the game with the, like, squirt guns? What game with the squirt guns? Uh, there was like there was like a game called Assassin or something, which is exactly the same game as this, except you just played it with your friends. Huh? No, I didn't. I guess. Mm. Yeah, you had to like shoot the other guy. Like everyone got someone's name to go shoot, huh. and then you like. Oh yes, it's did it over the course of the, the next couple weeks. The assassination game is apparently what it was called. Yeah. Tag the assassination game. Wait, it was yeah. also a film. Mm. Um, that might be a little different. But you can like play it like in the mall. Yes, I see. There are rules and all manner of things. Huh. I yep. guess I just I mean, wasn't ever invited. Seems like the, you know, the web, the iOS 2.0 version. Huh. Okay, well, I don't think it's a good idea. We can and I think that the government should ban it and arrest the people who thought of it. Oh, okay. That's good. And also anyone who linked to it. Okay. Mm, I was trying to start a conflict so we can argue. I don't know. I mean, I don't, yeah, it just it seems dumb, but I don't care. Fair enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is, the, this is the, the problem with, you know, arguing with Mike about anything. Like, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, I don't... I mean, I, you know, one of the, this is one of the things I actually was thinking about. This is one of the first uses that I came up with for iBeacons when they got announced at WWC last year was uh, iOS version of the Assassin game. Hmm. Where the idea is you would have to walk up to the other person and like get within like, you know, whatever the, the small, you know, zone is of an iBeacon. And then hit the button on your phone. Yeah. So no gun. Yeah. See, that's that's cooler because it's all stealthy and stuff. Yeah. Has anyone that, done a, an iBeacon scavenger hunt yet? I don't think so. I don't know. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I could see it. Be nice. What were those? Um, scavenger hunt is for iOS owners only. <laughs> what were those little throwy LED? Yeah, so they like they got the little battery and the LED, right? Yeah, and thing, yeah, throwies. Okay, someone should do one of those for iBeacons. Yeah, I can imagine that. I guess. How long can you run an iBeacon off of? Uh... An awful long time, I think. I mean, the coin is. I mean, people have made little iBeacons, right? Have they? Have they I made them so. like small enough and cheap enough to be disposable? I think they were like little USB power. Like they look like thumb drives now. Hmm. Okay. I'll have to do some research. I think that'd be cool, though, if you could have them, you know, even if they could run for a month or something on a, a CR2032 or something. Yeah. You mean a watch battery? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Why do you have that in your head? What? You've never bought one? I have bought them, but then I got rid of, that's why I put it on a list of things <laughs> to buy. And then I bought it. Uh, well, you know, I'm just trying I, to optimize my life. That's good. Is uh, that, do, you, do you ever need that style battery? 
Uh, I have some other randomer one. Yeah, I don't know what I need that for. I can't remember. There's something in my life that needs it for, that I need it for. Hmm. I don't recall. Um, so cinemetrics. Yes. What are cinemetrics? So this was a cool site I found. This probably should have been my chatter, but I have too many of them already. Um, it's like another one of these, you know, remember like the cinema barcode and the cinema, you know, they've all these things to like visualize movies, right? Right. And this is just another one of them. And it's, uh, I liked this one. Um, I'm not sure why. Okay. It's pretty similar to the cinema barcode, but... Um, it adds the degree of motion, which I thought was a little weird. Yeah. Um, but the nice little hack it does is it groups everything by 10 shots. You can actually kind of see shot length, too. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, that you get a sense of the progression of the film. Yeah, the thing I didn't get was whether or not. I mean, so they... I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a... There's a there there with these. I don't know what it is exactly. Um, Like, I feel like... There's a possibility for a tool that you could use on your own projects. Um, Or maybe an interface to a color correction tool. Or maybe... Like some way to discuss color amongst all of your, you know, the major players on your project. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just been something that's been in my head for a while. And so every time one of these comes up, I go, oh, look, someone's kind of working on that problem. Um, I don't know. You know, anytime um, a, a tool like this can help you understand why you like or dislike or feel good or feel bad about something when you can't necessarily express it directly i think it's interesting i think you know you could do this for your favorite films and your least favorite films and maybe extrapolate trends from that yeah i don't know i mean Um, the next obvious step would be for like netflix to include this on on every checkout and you know let you see yeah Yeah. i mean it's weird information is the thing. I don't know. I mean, it seems like, you know, the one thing we really have, the one nut we haven't really cracked yet in sort of the post-production video realm is we're really, you know, timelines are not really intuitive as an interface. Um, I mean, it's cool that you get to see how the clips are put together. But there's not a great way to see what's inside of the clips. Mm -hmm. Just because we can't... I mean, there's no way to show you every single piece of video all at once. You know, there's like... So people have solved this, you know, dozens of ways. You've got the, you know, the film strip, thumbnail look on timelines. You've got the little, like scrubber thing that Final Cut does now and that uh, Premiere does in his browser. Uh, you've got you know, you've got all these little tricks to try to get you some sort of window into the content that is that little stripe of time on your timeline. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, it seems like there's... I, don't, I mean, it seems like a lot of these 
are trying to get to some notion of that, some other way of looking at that. You know, the thing that actually, the thing I found most interesting was not what were considered the, they weren't what's in the video. It's he's got these posters that he made later on. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's got one for The Shining, which is a bunch of other like meta-analysis, like speech and um, you know the the weather with faces, things like that. Yeah, like facial expressions. I thought that was really neat. Yeah. Um, I also thought the one of the Royal Tenenbaums, where he, you know, it's like using the individual frames of video to sort of stitch together a meta frame mm-hmm. um, for the entire shot. It's a very odd look, but yeah, it's It's cool. an odd look, but it gives you, I don't know, this is just something I've been like, it's been in the back of my head as like a problem that someone should solve. Yeah. You know, like, could you make uh, an editor that in the browser actually showed you what all the clips were going to be? Not just a thumbnail of one point in them. And, but and I could guess the you do some is... sort of analysis to like make them into storyboards? Right. And you know, and... you actually like knew you were gonna be a, this was gonna be a push in on the person and the person was gonna walk from the left to the right. Like how would you show that with a single frame? Right. And and would our brains sort of find that information useful in the actual edit? I think I mean you know, there's a reason why we stick all that crap into metadata. Yeah, it's because we need to go looking for it later. I don't know. It'd be it'd be interesting. Mm, I don't know. Someone should solve that. Agreed. Someone. We should solve that. Someone and with a grant. Into, put it into our nonlinear editor that we're working on. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. I guess. So Adobe, you can actually, I mean, I guess there's nothing stopping someone from making a new browser for Premiere Pro. No. Because you can basically, I mean, if you wanted to, you could rewrite all of Premiere Pro as Premiere Pro plugins. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if someone would be interested in that. Mm. Would someone pay for a new browser? Probably not. I mean, the problem, I mean, you know. Editors, man. Like... They like working quickly. Yeah, but they also hate change. I mean, you know, there's lots of things about the way that clips and and bins are displayed in Final Cut X that's much much better. And look at how I don't know. Been. I find most of that really annoying. Uh, I'm still not convinced that's not just because you haven't one taken the time to learn all of the like secondary features and two actually used it for a while. Yeah, no, that's part of it. Definitely. But I'm, I, you know, all the apps, I'm not in love with the, like, smart scroll, scrub, whatever. Hmm. Like, it's nice when you can do it with a keyboard shortcut. I find it sort of infuriating when it just, like, always happens. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Um. You you linked to two music videos this week that are another kind of... Yeah, so this is like the... Yeah, this is like the week of like new media um, music video experiments. Um, and so we've got Farrell Williams' 24 Hours of Happy, and we've got Dylan's 
I don't know, music video. Yeah, for like a Rolling Stone. <laughs> yeah, so it's just a new music video for his pre-existing song. Right, which um, never had a music video because they didn't exist. I suppose that's true, huh? Um, so I didn't actually look at the Pharrell Williams one because I just don't care. What is it? It's so here's the thing. They're both kind of the same. This is well, I put them together because they, they're, they're kind of identical. Um, so Farrell Williams's video is a loop of different people dancing slash singing along, whatever, walking down the street to his song. And so it's like four minutes, then the song starts again, and someone else does a little, like, does their dance to it. And so it's 24 hours long, but it's all a loop of a single four-minute song. Whereas Dylan's is, I don't even want to describe sort of the... It's um, like a TV interface where you change channels, and all of the channels are in sync, and the people on the channels are singing the song. But it's a mix of fake shows and actual shows, like The Price is Right. Right. And so, yeah, it's like you're watching a TV show, but instead of the normal dialogue, it's like they just happen to be speaking, like doing their regular thing, but their mouths are synced to the song. Right? Does that make sense? Right. So, you know, we might be having this conversation, but instead of talking words that make sense, we'd be speaking the lyrics to like a Rolling Stone. And so what I found interesting was these both suffer from all of the sort of... It seems like the best thing we can ever think of to do with new media is just throw more half-assed content at something. Right, they're... Both of these are just like, look at this. Instead of doing one thing, we did it a bunch of times in a row, and then we let you look at all. You know, it's like a... I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's no new hook here, other than like, whoa, we did a lot of it. Right. And then, and and as a, on the flip side, we didn't really, you know, worry too much about the quality of any one particular bit of it, because you're supposed to look at it in aggregate and sort of give up. Yeah. Um, and so... I don't know. I mean, they're definitely in the category of a thing that is sort of entertaining to do once. And if anyone ever did a similar thing again, it would have absolutely no value. I don't, I don't mean, not that I particularly love this stuff, but it's, it's a gimmick. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't, it's not thought provoking. It's not, I mean, it, it didn't even, it wasn't even particularly amusing or anything. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, oh, look, that's neat. Look what they can do. Oh, it's not using Flash. Good for them, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it seemed like... I don't know. Why do you... Why did this happen? Why did we get two of these in the same week? Um, I, well, I don't know for sure that they actually both came out this week. We may have just found out about them this week, but I don't know. I mean, Pharrell Williams did an entertaining sort of video for whatever his song Fuck You was. 
That's a different guy. Was it? Is it? CeeLo. Oh, you're right. Yeah. It's huh. okay. You're getting old. You don't have to keep up with the music. I am very old. Um, you are. It's your birthday. True fact. Huh. Well, I don't you know. I mean, I like just... 40 this year? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's so. Am I supposed to save for retirement? Yes. <laughs> nah. You'll be fine. Um, so I guess a lot of it's just that these sorts of things, they, I'm trying, to I mean, think of a way to, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without being disparaging to the types of people who create these things. Right. I mean, is, is most of the, the, the like impetus behind this specific, I mean, cause there was, there was a specific creative decision made here. And I think like the, you know, you, anytime you do design, you're working on constraints. And I feel like the, the, the one constraint that shines for both of these is the artist doesn't give enough of a shit to right. be there. Like, these are both like, we want to make something cool. And the guy goes, okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to show up to a shoot. Right. So whatever you want to do, great. You know, like, we get the guy to sing the song once, done. He goes home. He did his, you know, four minutes of lip sync. And then we can get, like, random people off Craigslist to do it another 17,000 times. Yep. You know, and it's like the Dylan one was a little bit harder because they actually had to, like, reach out to PR people at all these various shows. But, I mean, my impression was that every single one of those was shot and edited by the show, probably for little or no money. Right? I Yeah, I, I'm not entirely convinced that some of them weren't actually recut without any lip sync but i don't know but in any case it just seems i mean the dylan one in particular seems like the kind of thing where a bunch of people were sitting around a table with you know fancy croissants and someone proposed this and everyone got all jazzed up and there was never a sort of why or what does what's the value in this it was just yeah i don't know I don't know. I mean, is this all? Is this is this what new media is? Is it just more, more media? Well, I mean, I guess the flip side is what you know of the music videos created in the world since the beginning of music videos. How many of them had lasting value? Lasting value? Yeah. Like, how many of them mattered? How many of them were more than? you know, four minutes of random, like, are these any worse than the vast, vast majority of things that have aired on MTV or whatever, wherever music videos go now? Where do they go now? Just straight to YouTube, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, they obviously succeeded. They got a bunch of views. Um, you know, I found at least like a Wall Street Journal article, which made the same like, Let's talk about both of these videos together. Thanks. So, I mean, people are talking about them. Yeah. Which I guess is all that matters. Yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, I, I don't see, I don't see it as, I, I don't condemn new media any more than condemning old media. You know, the fact that people make meaningless sorts of gigaws out of, with, with new media is no worse yeah. than the type they made with old media. And you'd like it to be 
better in some way, but at the same time, I think you have to acknowledge that most stuff is transient and valueless. Yeah, I suppose. Just like us. But it seemed, it seems, I don't know, there seemed like something specific about the dump truck model. I agree. With the I stuff. Think, yeah. I don't, like. But I mean, that's sort of, you know, the. That, like, I guess, is a broader thing of, you know, director's cuts and. I mean, all these different models where, well, maybe, maybe that's not the right one, but just where they sort of give you everything instead of curating it. Yeah. Because they can. Yeah. You know? So why did, so I get why Dylan did his, his way, but like if, if I was going to do the feral video myself, I would have figured out some way to get everyone to film it, like all my, the fans to film it, mm-hmm. like on their, you know, webcams or something. Yeah. Because then it's like, this thing is 24 hours long. You're in here somewhere. I'm not telling you where. Yeah. That would have like, been more interesting, but at least you, you know, I bet people would have watched all twenty four hours looking for themselves. Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next time. I don't know. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's something. Yeah. The Dylan one, you know. Yeah, it's all neat. I guess it, whatever. Yeah. We shall all forget it now. Um, Honda. This this is a little bit of an odd one for us, but I. It, it provoked some thoughts for me, so I thought it might be thought-provoking for others. Um, Honda announced they're making English their official language for meetings and things. For everyone. Worldwide meetings, yeah. And it got now, me thinking about language in our industry and in software development and in the, you know, whatever mm-hmm. wider world we exist in, the internet-y, twitter world. You know, obviously English is the de facto standard, but we have clients throughout the world. Um, you know, where do you draw the line on, and you know, when you need to support people in other languages, when you expect people to just operate in English? You know, how do small software companies deal with that? I mean, I think we just have to say, like, we're small. Um, I mean, it's a little, you know, it's sort of the opposite problem that someone like Honda has. Like, they're doing it because, I mean, I assume they're still going to interface with customers in whatever language they want. Sure. Um, And I I have to imagine that, like, the CEO is going to have his meetings in Japan with all Japanese staff in Japanese. Like, they're not going to sit around and talk in English, are they? You would think, yeah. So this is just like for international meetings, right? Excuse me. I mean, I guess maybe not. I mean, I don't know. I it, I don't think the article was clear on this. No. Um, but I mean, you know, for example, we get support inquiries that don't make any apologies and we'll just speak in whatever the person's native language is so you know it's in french or it's in portuguese or whatever and i do my best to answer them um how do you do that you just google translate it yep and then google translate your answer back or do you leave your answer in english i usually will leave my answer in english um because you know sort of explains what's going on (laughs) yeah and if they want to google translate it they can but then at least there's not confusion as to why i you know 
Right. At least then you can be sure that what you said is correct. Right. Because Google Translate does not necessarily do well with technical jargon. Right. Right. Um, I, but I like. I wonder what the threshold is. Like, when do you need to start? You know, outsourcing that, or when do you need to start? You know. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think we're. I mean, we're too small for it some, to matter because it doesn't happen frequently enough. But like, you know, I think. Right, we're too small, and we're in a fairly. I mean, I think because we're in an industry that's a little more technical. Like, I think if we were selling more consumer-facing software, the the threshold for that would be much lower. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like... I don't know. I mean, you know, there's definitely... With the Mac App Store now, a lot of people are... You know, Apple is pretty heavily pushing people towards localizing their apps. Yeah. For the store, I mean, they, the store is localized. They want you to localize your descriptions. They want you to localize the app itself. But they don't, you know, and they've got their answers for how you go about doing that. They have people to contract out to and all this other stuff. But you know, the solution they don't have is then what do you do once you've made that? Once you've sort of put, you know. Well, exactly. That's always position yourself and the expectation that the entire process, you know, you actually speak the native language or someone on your staff does and that they'll be ready to support you later. You know, once you take someone's money in their language, they have every right to expect that they get support in that language. Yeah. And I mean, I think there there are definitely options. Like, for example, Zendesk has a way to basically pay to have your support tickets translated by real people inbound sure. and outbound. Like, you know, there are, there are ways to do that, but it can become a, you know, pretty expensive thing. Right. And as a small company, like it's really hard to know which of those areas it makes sense to put money into. Yeah. And I'm curious, I mean, you know, do some indie developers, do European based indie developers just by default end up launching with a lot more language support? I imagine. I imagine they do, yeah. Does that equal, you know, more sales? And can you do that analysis? And has anyone, I wonder? I mean, I know anecdotal stories from other developers who've translated their app um, and localized. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, you. Like all these things, I think you sort of keep an eye on your sales and you you know, you try to pick the ones that are going to have the best return on investment. Yeah. But, I mean, it's... If you get seriously into this space, it's a lot more than just translation because you, you know, one, you need to use something like auto layout to deal with, you know, formatting text and everything properly for all... Right, you need to ship a version of the app, you know, essentially for every individual... Right, but you also, you know, also need to be able to test all of that and right. sort of know that you know those Chinese characters aren't rendering properly, or they're you know something, or that this left to right language or right to left language is being rendered left to right. You know, you 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 have to do a lot more testing and a lot have a lot more knowledge about a lot of different languages. I mean, when you look at the number of languages that OS X supports or something, it's pretty mind boggling to think that there are people responsible for all of these. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's all well and good to have French, German, Spanish, 
but obviously if you're serious about this you know i would think the first one you would do is chinese mm, it depends i mean you know like there's the market size and there's your chance of being able to penetrate the market i mean if you are you know for instance for us i would say you know one of the you know the our if we were going to localize you know and then and this like completely separates the issue from whether or not we can expect customers to read english but like it seems like the majority of our foreign users are in like germany netherlands sort of that region mm-hmm. you know switzerland netherlands denmark various i mean and so but i mean you know at the same time those are all people who have bought our software right you know ostensibly because they can understand you know they're perfectly fine dealing with an english copy so i mean i don't know how you go i don't know how you make those sort of decisions i mean we have you know the the common you know the sort of common sense that everyone has been taught over the years was that the first thing you localized a apple like a macintosh program for was japanese because it was the second biggest market mm-hmm. followed by french and the japanese would not use english software and the french were more willing to now i mean i doubt that's the case anymore like i doubt that's actually backed up by real data anymore mm-hmm. um so I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know how you do that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, maybe for our next app, we will experiment with some translation. Maybe. I mean, you know, since in part the tools have gotten a lot better since we clean slated either of our main applications. Yes. So auto layout and just the way Xcode handles those is a lot less painful than it used to be. That is true. Um um, we also have a much less, I mean, we have fairly simplistic interfaces, right. which one makes the cost of doing it less. And it also means, I mean, if you, you gave know, me clip wrap in, you know, German, I could probably figure out how to use it. Right. There's two or three buttons you might need to go to Google to translate. Right. Um, but it's not a word processor. You know, it's not something where you're. more likely to have text peppered around driving the user to things. Um, You know, I mean, a good third of, I mean, pretty much every option we have that the user has to do in our face is like codec names, which are universal. Yep. You know, I imagine, I mean, perhaps there's a, you know, ProRes has been translated into kanji, but I don't know. Has it? I don't know. You know, like when you read that, I'm I'm assuming, you know, most of those trade names that you see, you know, in the past, Apple hasn't translated those. They're left as the, you know, the English word. So I don't know. I mean, you know, yeah, I would be curious. I would love for, I would love to talk to the alternate reality version of us that actually did that and find out if it was worth it. <laughs> Yes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of all the things we could sink time into. 
Yeah, I was going to say, as a small business owner, there are probably many alternate reality us's that it'd be convenient to talk to. Yes. I'm sure a lot of them are not making software. <laughs> <laughs> or made software for a little while and, and bankrupt trying yeah. one of these things out. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm curious. I'm always curious. That's, you know, that's been one of the quite back burner questions for years. Well, I ha- and, and I guess one step would be to go and look at, you know, both in our immediate small industry video software, but also just wider and sort of indie Mac software, you know, does panic translate all their stuff? Does Omni does you know, some of these people who are right. the next step up the ladder? Right. Although I think those are less of a analog for us. I'd be more interested to see if say Telestream translates theirs mm-hmm. or, you know, is final cut translated locally. Yeah. But I'm not sure in how many different languages. Yeah, I will look here. Um, I mean, App, I think Apple has policies on that, probably internally. That anything that mm-hmm. goes out has to. I'm be. sure. Yeah. And I mean, they're big enough that they have to deal with like po- political issues too, you know. Right, and they have. I mean, they have boots on the ground in most of these countries. So German, English, French, and Japanese and Chinese. That's Final Cut X? Yep. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I actually would have expected more countries than that. Interesting, the no Spanish. Yeah. Um, or Indian. They speak English. Some of the time. Um, so, Photos- or Premiere is... German, English, Spanish, French, Italian, Japanese, Korean, uh, Russian, Chinese, and I don't know what PT is. Um, Portuguese, perhaps. Hmm. I don't know. Indonesian. No. Portuguese. Huh. Okay. Weird. Looks like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll start learning my Portuguese. I'm not sure that's the first market we should localize for. We could try though. Um, last real story we had. I think we've talked about Object Cloud before, but I think they're a real thing now. I think last time they were a hypothetical thing. Yeah. Okay. Tell um, me about it. Por- Object Cloud is a way to write Object C. Cocoa apps, basically, and run them on Mac minis in Germany as services. Um, so you use Object C and Cocoa plus a framework from the Object Cloud people to um, basically let your Cocoa app respond as a web app would on, you know, like a you know Ruby on Rails app or something. So it can do RESTful stuff, um, and and so you can actually have like methods within your Object C invoked directly from a URL. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I guess, interestingly for interesting for a very small subset of people. Um, but I, the only reason I can see to do this is if you have some piece of business logic that can't easily be ported out of Objective C, or you rely on a, or you need a web client to iCloud. Could you do that with this? I don't know. I mean, I guess you could. I mean, what other way are you going to shim yourself to iCloud? Yeah, but how do you auth? Because the auth is handled on the local machine. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you can't do that. 
I guess not. Um, no, I mean, if you have like business logic or if you rely on some piece of Cocoa Framework, like if you had an AV foundation dependent app or a QuickTime dependent app, this is a way to run that in the cloud. But what would, I mean, but it's, those would be weird. And like, what would you ever do that? I mean, like, yeah, I can't see a huge use case for this. Yeah, it's, it's expensive. It seems like it's mostly one of those things where you're like, I can't possibly learn another programming language. Right, but it's too expensive for that, I think. So I don't know. I, I, um, I'd be curious if they actually get some users and what sort of people end up using it. Um, yeah. Because it seems like for most people, the extra effort to learn a cross-platform replacement for whatever they're tied to would make sense. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to maintain business logic in two places, for sure, but... You know, it's also tough to tie any major product to something like this. Yeah. Like, how do you know it's going to be there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a custom framework running on a data center full of Mac minis. There's not a lot of drop-in replacements for that. Yeah, nothing of that's drop-in replaceable. Oh, and also you have to give them all your code. Oh, yeah. Ooh, you can't compile it and upload it? Well, you do that too, but apparently you have to give them all your code too. So they know what you're running in their cloud, I suppose. I guess, yeah. I mean, most people are fine doing that with their web things anyways. Yeah. But, you know, in theory you're doing this because you have something that's too complex to port to something like Perl, Java. Yeah. Weird. Anyways, I just was interested. It came up on Twitter again, and I think now it's a real product. So, um, Yeah, strange. Um, so what's your chatter about this week? So um, I have a billboard from British Airlines, um, which is pretty cool. It's outside uh, Heathrow, Heathrow, London Heathrow. I can't say I it right. I think it's Heathrow, isn't it? Yeah, but they say it, Heathrow, 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 London Heathrow. Uh, anyways, um, it's a billboard uh, that um, has a little kid on it, and the kid, every time a plane flies overhead, the kid gets up and trick watches the plane and like points at it going by, and then the billboard tells you what plane it is and where it's going or where it's coming from. And that was pretty cool because one... So it's a video. Well, it's a, it's a video that's The like, billboard is like a video. Yeah, It's yeah, yeah. a projection. It's a TV, yeah. big TV. Okay. And they're actually like use they're you know a- accurately tracking the planes, and then you find out where it is because like I you know I live close enough to the airport that depending on the weather sometimes we have planes going overhead, and I always wonder where they're coming from, just in that sort of curious sense of mm-hmm. uh, the wider world around us. Um, I thought this was pretty fun, and it's well done. Yeah, it, it looked neat. I watched the video; it's fun. So, um, if you happen to be in London's Piccadilly. Um, take a look, see what you see. That's all. What's your chatter? So, um, so I got two this week. One is a couple weeks old. It's actually really old, but it sort of surfaced on the internet. I don't know, last week or the week before. It's uh, Bjork oh, yeah. talking about explaining how TVs work. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, check it out. It's uh, it's interesting. It's pretty uh, perfect. Yeah. Um, and the second one was a 
some crazy person has gone and made remade Blade Runner um, frame by frame as watercolors. So and then shot photos of them and stitched them together into a video. Um, and sunk it with the audio. It's it's one of those like massive endeavors that I'm not sure I will ever take the time to sit down and watch the entire thing, but I've watched a good 15 minutes of it and been like, wow. It's pretty hardcore. Did they it's hard- good to see people do that with their time. Did they have a grant for it or something? Like, I hope. Why would you need a grant for that? You're doing it for the love of it, for the love of the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't love the game? I, li- I mean, the game's okay, but... So it's 35 minutes of the movie. It's very good. Okay. Watch it. I will start it right now. Okay. And I'll report back. Everyone else watch it too. Okay. Well, um, hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving. Yes, and you too. enters the December holiday season with joy in their hearts. Mm, and turkey. And leftover turkey. Yes, that too. Okay, well, uh, we'll talk to you next week and talk to you then as well. Both of those times? Both next week and then? Okay. Yep. We're going to do two next week. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.